John. And this is Wes. And this is Ryan. And this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is going to be the mini show for the month of February 2024. So we'll talk about whatever we damn well please. I got some video games and video game related topics. Uh, we'll talk about movies. We could talk about some music if you feel like it. Uh, Wes, you went to MegaCon. I went to MegaCon. We can talk about some comic books if you feel like it. Uh, but Wes, yes. why don't you kick us off? Why well, don't, why you don't want you want me to start out with MegaCon? Mega yeah. I've never been to MegaCon, and this was a experience because I've always wanted to go. I was going to go one time years and years ago. Um, I bought the tickets and everything, and then my grandfather died. So <laughs> I didn't go because <laughs> I had a funeral to go to. But this year, this year I finally I went. I went with a, a, a group of friends, um, some really cool people. Uh, yeah, this has been a we blast. Weren't there. Yeah, you guys weren't there. Mm. If you were, I mean, could have come hang out with us. I mean, come on. <laughs> but Maycon was really cool. I um, it pretty much was exactly what I was picturing it. Like I wasn't. I was like, yeah, this is Maycon. Like, I mean, it's not like it's Maycon. It's a lot of booths and everything. You just walk around, see a lot of people. I didn't dress up at all, but my uh, my friends did. Um, one of them dressed up all four days, and two of them dressed up three of the days. Two of the days. But they have a... Um, Wait, did you go multiple days, or was it like a one-day thing for four you? Four days. I oh, shit. All four days. The only day I left early was Saturday, because I got some kind of weird stomach bug in the middle of the day, and I was kind of exhausted. And it What's was the difference chaotic. from... What's the difference from day to day? Well, I mean, really, it's just more of the same thing. They had different panels and different people talking and things you can do like that. But the Did you go to any of the panels? I went to a couple of panels. And I'll tell you about those. But, like, Thursday is a really good day because it's very quiet. There's not a lot of people there. Some booths are even still getting set up. It's just a very quiet, very easy day um, just to kind of get the lay of the land. I really liked Thursday because it was just nice. Friday, getting a little busier. Um, just starting to see a little bit more of what's going on. Saturday, you can't walk uh, two inches without bumping into somebody. <laughs> mm. Absolutely psychotic how busy that is. I I, I knew it was going to be nuts, but that was absurd. And then, you know, Sunday is just the last day, and it still is very busy, but not like Saturday. But yeah, I went to two panels. Um, the first one was the the voice of Fry and Leela from Futurama. Those two. Oh shit, Billy West and um. Yes. Ryan, help me out. What, what's her name? Oh yeah, from uh, right. Sons of Anarchy. Catherine. Yeah. Married with Children. I can't remember her name. I have no idea. It was a fun panel. He's uh, Billy West is really funny. It's always fun watching like. Oh. Uh, Katie Siegel. Katie Siegel. Katie Siegel. Katie Siegel. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but it's always, it's always fun watching like voice actors like uh, just talking about things because they're slipping in and out of different voices for jokes and stuff like that. And you're like, okay. Like, <laughs> it just throws you off how quickly they're Really hamming it up for the crowd. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. He, he was so short on the, on the couch. His feet were kind of like <laughs> flapping around like a little kid on the couch. It was hilarious. Uh, it was so cool. <laughs> Case Case Gall was just kind of sitting there, just hanging out. And... Wait, so what was what was their topic of discussion? Or was it just like, hey, here's two voice actors, come well, they listen had, to them speak. They had um, one guy asking questions, and then eventually they opened it up for people in the crowd to ask questions. So they had a couple microphones set up, and they went out back and forth with the two microphones, answering just fan questions. 
And they they were fun. It, it was a good little panel. It was nice. And the the one I also went to uh, was Alan Tudyk's. Mm-hmm. Nice. And he was a blast. Alan Tudyk was a, a lot of fun because um, he he was doing the same thing. He's just a really nice guy. And uh, I don't know if it was a bit or no, I, it, it most likely was a bit. But he was sitting there. He's like, "Yeah, I got this uh, bag of crap I brought from home." Anyways. Whoever asks me a question, I'm going to uh, sign something from here, and you get to take that. <laughs> so, like, somebody were ask a question, and he'd be like, yeah, that was really good, really a good time, that it was a good experience. Anyway, here's this toothbrush I brought, and he just signs this toothbrush. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got DNA, DNA on it. Don't don't clone me, bro. Just, <laughs> just dealing stuff like that. And at one point, somebody asked him just to say Shakespeare quotes in the King Candy voice, which was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, he ended it. He was, he was drinking this coffee the entire time and refilling it from like a one of those jugs you see from like a like hotels have one of those big coffee jugs, the stainless steel kind of things. And uh, he answered the question. He's like, "Yeah." And he signed that, and he goes, "Yeah, I took this from the hotel. Here you go." And just hands the coffee jug to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fun guy. <laughs> it's just really, really funny. But they had um, a little section there for my little models. <laughs> My oh, good. Yeah, a whole Gundam section that had this big giant Gundam statue thing. Um, and you can go in there and see a bunch of different models that they sell. And they had a little table out. So they had a couple of events. I didn't go to any of those where you can just build a model there. I'm like, I'm walking around MegaCon. I'm going to sit here for an hour building a model. Like, I'm I'm going to go see MegaCon. I don't know why. Well, was it a big model? No, it was an entry grade. It was, it was a basic little thing. I think I even So they're just building one. little models. Yeah, it was just building a little model. No big deal. The uh, the art section was a lot of fun. It's just a lot of artists selling their stuff that they make. Um, really cool, really interesting stuff. You end up seeing the same thing over and over again. Futurama stuff, Avatar stuff all over the place. Eevees. Just constantly Eevees and Evolutions all over the place. Um, and then they had another part where it was just typical merch things that you see in stores. Funko Pops, toys, clothing, things like that that you typically see. Merchandising. Um, merchandising. <laughs> and then my friends paid for two pictures with two celebrities. Um, and they were like, if you want to join, come and just hop in the photo. And I was going to, but I got sick on Saturday, so I didn't go. They met uh, Alan Tudyk. I got their photo with him. Nice. And because I was hanging out with them, I had nearly nothing else to do. I hopped in the picture for uh, a one Felicia Day's photo. Okay. So I have that. I have a photo with Felicia Day, just randomly. Because why not? Because why not? She's fun. It's fun. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. It was, a, it was a really good time. I'm definitely going next year. I got two ideas for cosplay that I want to do. Oh, I didn't even tell you their cosplays, because they're kind of funny. Um, I don't know. You guys... Ryan, are you a DBZ fan? I know John's not. Um, I like the abridged version. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I watched Dragon Ball when I was like a teenager. Yeah. Uh but I never really stuck with they, it. They do, no. a, it's, it's fun. they do a DBZ yeah. day where they all dress up as DBZ characters, and one of them dresses up as um, Yamcha. And um, you may know Yamcha. it from a... Is he the one with the, the bald guy with the eye in the middle of his no, head? No, no, that's Tien. Yamcha is the one that looks like Goku, but he's got scars on his face. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, You know the one character. part where Jiro punches through him and his hand's kind of sticking out the back of him? Um, mm-hmm. th- he does a cosplay where he like has these holes in the 
the outfit that he wears. I forget what the thing is called. But they have this mannequin hand that magnetically snaps onto a harness that he wears under his shirts for the hand sticking out the back of him being punched through by Jiro. And so he goes around and people get pictures taken of like punching through him. <laughs> so that was a really fun cosplay. Um, and then my buddy dresses up as Yajirobe, uh, Bean Daddy. <laughs> so the the guy with the long hair and the sword. And um, mm-hmm. he like hands out beans, uh, jelly belly beans. Whenever somebody re- uh, recognizes them, sends you beans. <laughs> so that was a fun. But you know, it, it's it's a fun time. I'm I really liked it. it I always yeah. it's it's worth doing. It's worth doing. It's a lot, at least one day just see what's going on, see some cool stuff. Nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I actually, uh, I mean, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but I used to go every year, like 20 years ago. <laughs> and the, yeah, like um, it's nothing. It was nothing then compared to what it is now. It's become so much bigger. Um, and you know, like you're saying, it's spread over. I think f- four or five days now. Yeah. Tron, I think you went to four days, but I think it's like five days. Well, I think it was just like the when four. I was, that was the only. It was just four day pass. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It used to just be Saturday and Sunday, and like. I think the biggest celebrity I met while I was doing it was the late George Lowe, who's like the voice of Space Ghost. Uh, he was, was he was pretty great delightful. though. He was really really cool to meet. But yeah, I mean, I I just haven't been uh, in, in. I think the last one I went to was probably like in the late two thousands, maybe two thousand seven or two thousand eight. But um, yeah, they're always like so much fun, and it's nice that like because it was like Comic Con was always the big thing, and there were always other like much larger ones. Like was it Pack Pack West or Pack East? Yeah, those packs. I think were the other big. Yeah. Yeah, like I know those were huge ones, and MegaCon always was sort of thought of as this like kind of smaller scale. But now it's now again, like you're saying, they get huge, huge names every year, and it's like it's a big deal. Like the Orlando Convention Center is Tom Hilson, and they had Obi Wan and Anakin from Star Wars. Uh, they were Ewan both McGregor? Here. Yeah, Ewan McGregor and what's his face? The other guy. Hayden Christensen. Yeah, they were there. That's um, awesome. that pretty great. I'm trying to remember some of the other really big okay, names. Okay, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, they were there as a pair. You can get a picture with both of them if you wanted to. Yeah, so, well, I want to ask you, Ewan McGregor how he felt about not getting cast in the beach and then going to DiCaprio instead. <laughs> <laughs> Is you know, still, I'm sure, is still I'm mad. Sure oh my gosh, I, I would love to see you at <laughs> one of his panels asking that question. How do you feel about the beach? I, I want to talk to Obi Wan Kenobi about the Danny Boyle film, The Beach. <laughs> it's a totally rational thing to do. I, I would love that so much. Yeah, somebody asked um, Billy West about uh, being the voice for the Red Eminem. <laughs> No, I mean, those, really those Christmas commercials still air. You remember that, like the, the one with yeah. like where Santa's like, "Oh my God, he does exist. They do exist," and they both faint. Like yep. that, that commercial's got to be like thirty years old at this point. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Billy West has been some like he was Stimpy, right? Like he was Ren and Stimpy. He's Stimpy. He was Doug uh, and Roger from Doug. Yeah, yeah, that's that's He's bonkers. Done some stuff, like, man. He's currently the voice of Ned Flanders <laughs> since. Um, uh, who was his name? I can't even think of his name. One of the original members of the Simpsons voice acting cast retired. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. He was, he was a lot cool. of fun. He was a really cool guy. So that, that was a fun mm-hmm. panel to watch. Yeah, it's weird to think. Billy West, I think, is like in his 70s now. He's, he's, he's a pretty 
He's getting up he there. He doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. He's just a big kid. Yeah. Uh, I do have some video games to uh, talk about if you guys want to get into, if you guys want to switch topics, if we're ready. Yeah, let's go. Shocked. I'm shocked John has been playing video games. I do, oh I do. Uh, and I'll, I'll try not to, to go on too much about any of these, but I did finish a couple of games. I finished Prince of Persia Lost Crown. Uh, very good. I did go for the 100% completion on that one, so I got all of the collectibles. Um, I did all like the little side quests. And there, there's not like a whole lot in the way of side quests. There's like uh, seven or eight of these little like story related side quests that will pop up. And uh, one of the side quests is literally just, Hey, go try to collect everything in the game. So that, that wasn't really like, uh, so much of this, this narrative focus one there, There's one like that's super easy to miss where you talk to this guy and it's like, okay, well I'm going to go out adventuring in the world. And then if you come across him again, like you have to encounter him in like four or five places throughout the world map. And when you do, it's like, oh, hey, cool, where you found me. Or like you you save him from uh, uh, an attack or he's like stuck in a pipe or some shit and you like pull him out. And he's a really easy one to miss because a lot of times when he's around, you'll get like an audio cue. But if you don't like initiate the quest, if you don't like find him that first time until late in the game, then it's a lot of, okay, they're the only way I'm going to find you is if I like either look up where you are or if I like have to traverse the entire world map again, and I think like there there are all uh, like a Metroid game. There are a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to grab unless you do like a retraversal, and a lot like uh, a Metroid game, specifically something like a Metroid Dread or Metroid Samus Returns. The kind of, the best strategy is to kind of work your way to the point where you have almost all of the new skills. You know, where you have like your grapple and your double jump and, and all this stuff. That way you can make a, a loop around the world map in, in one swoop rather than trying to like, okay, now I have a new power up. Let's go around and see where I can use it. I think the best idea is to go through the critical path until you get all your all your stuff. Um, and they, they do like try to help you with some things they they will tell you like the the world is broken down by zones they'll tell you okay in this zone you found this many of the treasures this many of these lore pieces this many of this other little collectible it would be really nice if they sort of like marked what you found on your map that way you know okay like i, I don't have to go back to this area i've already found the thing or if you're using a guide to sort of fill in the blanks like I did. I got to about 75% before I was like, okay, I'm just going to look up where the rest of the stuff is. But then I had to like play process of elimination of what I found and what I haven't found. And sometimes it was really easy because it was like a piece of lore and they all have like their individual names and a bunch of paragraphs you can read if you want to. And sometimes it was just like, no, for, for this area, there's a treasure chest that will count towards your completion, but all that's in it is money. So it was difficult to keep track of whether I had that or not. And something like a Metroid Dread, if you you know have collected a power up, it will uh, be noted on your map that it was here and you've and you've attained it. So it's a little bit friendlier if you're going to try to go through and grab everything. So I, th I think one of the other things that would have been a little bit friendlier is more fast travel points. There really aren't a whole lot of fast travel points. And I, I understand why it must have been a tough balance to strike. Like, where are we going to put these fast travel points 
to make different areas accessible and then balance that with having these like platform challenge areas that are really fun. I think a lot of the, the um, platforming challenges that they go through are akin, but not nearly as like uh, difficult as something like a Celeste. But there are a lot of ones where you got to like, okay, I got to drop down here, do my air dash, uh, hit a double jump and use my grapple to get onto a ring that resets your dash and your double jump. And you're going to have to go through these maneuvers without ever having to like get to a, a safe spot on the ground to give yourself like a checkpoint. So it must've been tough to, to sort of balance out where you put those checkpoints to fast travel and then also like leave enough space to have these platform challenges actually be meaningful. And it may, maybe it would have been beneficial to like once you've once you've opened up all the zones on the map and once you've like advanced the 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 narrative the story of the game to the point where you're ready to go through the final boss door maybe then it would have been nice to be like okay now we're going to open up these extra little fast travel points just to make traversing around the world map easier and there's like a, a lot of worthwhile stuff that you can get like there's a bunch of uh, like hard expansions to put it in Zelda terms that are around where you can get like a ton of health and there's uh, extra potions that you can use uh, in your in your battle. So when you're in a in a fight or even like just moving around the the world map, there are potions that you can use to restore your health. You start with one, you can get as many as five, but they'll only refill when you hit like a checkpoint, and then you know you'll get them all back so you know anytime you're going into a boss fight they'll usually hit you with a checkpoint so you can have all your potions going in there but it's not like you can spam them over and over again in a fight but the game runs really well it looks really good i did encounter this weird bug where i was searching around the world and i went like to the the opening area that you're initially in there are a couple of collectibles that i was grabbing from there and then i advanced into you know the first big main zone in the game and it replayed a cinematic from the start of the game which was kind of strange but i couldn't duplicate it so i'm not exactly sure what was happening there the game must have just gotten confused or something uh all it's early onset dementia yeah maybe maybe <laughs> i mean there, there is like this this sort of uh uh i think i mentioned this before um non-linear uh time mechanics where you'll encounter different characters at different points in the game but like their timeline is different from yours because time is kind of wonky within this like uh tower city that you're in and it's kind of a fun mechanic and at first i thought like oh it's it's doing something it's showing me something because like time is weird in this place and then when i got to the end of it, it was like oh no it just replayed the first cinematic again for some reason whatever moving on uh the Final boss fight was not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. There were a couple of boss fights where, you know, it would take me like seven, eight tries, and it was uh, pretty difficult to figure out when was the best time to dodge, when was the best time to try to do the counter maneuver that will get me like uh, a, a super hit in. The, the final boss, like three tries, and I had it. And like each time I was getting significantly further than the other time there was no like big stumbling block and you know it was actually uh, I, i'm not like disappointed or anything like like that but it was it was kind of nice like it was a boss fight that was challenging enough it was just a little bit strange that it wasn't like as difficult as 
other times that uh, you've had a similar boss fight. There are uh, there, it does do some fun things to sort of like subvert your expectations about what um, like the characters are doing in this game. If you care about such things, you basically enter like this uh, this game this this area of the game your your main game area where with like eight seven eight ish other characters and they all kind of go your separate ways and in other games west you might remember from something like metroid prime 3 our buddy jake in the discord group made this comparison where you know you all scatter and like oh, okay well i guess these characters we're all going to turn on each other and they become like the boss fights as you go throughout the game and it's not necessarily the case in this game there are some characters that you're gonna have to fight them there are other characters who you know you might think are villains at the start of the game who might turn out uh, to not be the case and it's not necessarily the case that you know you're the only going to be the only survivor there are other characters that make it out of the game with you so it's kind of a, a a neat way to kind of set up as if they're going to do one sort of thing but then not live up to the the expectations that you're think are going to happen but thumbs up really good game uh the other game that i finished recently was star ocean second story the remake that's the game that came out on switch star ocean that... the second story the remake uh the re- right right <laughs> yeah so so they, they it was a ps1 game they remade it it's uh, technically called star ocean second story r and the r stands for remake um they re did the first one years back on switch a uh, second story they remade for switch back in november um and it's it's a much more significant remake they gave it a much bigger facelift it's a really nice looking game um and i have played a tiny tiny bit of second story way back on ps1 uh, a couple hours at most so i can't really speak to how much they changed mechanically but just going from the remake of the first game to the remake of the second game is a much smoother experience. I talked about the first game about a month back when I played through it back in December, January, and there were things about the game, specifically the way you're, you're increasing like passive skills or group skills. Like if you're all going to like have a, a group cookout and make things or like a group crafting section and make yourself some armor, they make it um, a lot smoother to pull off these group mechanics to make yourselves better armor specifically uh, pretty much like a lot of things they do to make it smoother was just like to give you your probability of success like hey you can try to craft this thing but you're only going to be 30 percent successful unless you upgrade these other passive skills or like hey if if you try to make these things you're, you're just going to be able to do it you got 100 percent success rate um and they also like make these sort of mechanics uh, important to the game earlier on when i was talking about the first game um i talked about these mechanics as something that like i only had to start doing when i entered like the end game before that it wasn't crucial to the mechanics or to the difficulty or to the progression to that point whereas in second story they're like hey here's a thing you should do um go ahead and try to do it and they would uh do a really good job of just making it where like it felt rewarding to engage with these mechanics and always be like 
checking up on your characters and what sort of passive skills they were getting because they would also like have stat implications if you upgrade these passive skills it'll also give you buffs to these stats uh, you can upgrade your active battle skills um, there's different party formations that your party can have uh, that will give you bonuses in a fight so if you you know if, if you're in a battle and you have successfully landed a certain amount of hits or you know been able to avoid taking damage a meter will build up and like hey now you just got like an automatic uh 25 boost to the experience that you'll get at the end of this battle all right and then the next bonus up you'll get like here's another 25 percent experience and then at the third stage you get like okay here's a 50 percent gold experience that you'll get for this fight i think that the battles they did a lot to make them much more engaging rather than mash buttons uh, you do have like your regular attack button you have a dodge and the dodge like um will matter because an enemy will like flash red when it's about to do a big attack and if you dodge it at the right time it'll give you an automatic counter where you like sneak behind them and then like get them stunned and wear down their shields a little bit more there's like a shield system similar to like what you would think of like octopath 2 but it's not vital to break their shields down in order to do damage um, it, it is somewhere like, when you break down their shields, you're going to boost your crit rate. You're going to make them take more damage. You're going to lower their defense, but you can win these fights uh, just by like using your skills and draining all the HP. There's also like uh, it's, a, it's a four person battle system. Uh, you can set general commands to what you want your other characters to do. You can have them focus on healing. You can just tell them to all-out attack, try to reserve their mana, that sort of thing. All of the battles out in the world map are like visible uh, little enemy clouds. It won't tell you what sort of enemy it is, but you can tell, like, hey, there's an enemy there. And you can actually try to chain them together, where if you like attract a bunch of enemies uh, up to five, you can get in a chain and have them all attack you you'll have to fight five sequential battles but it'll pay out like four or five times the amount of like experience and money that you get so it makes it uh, easy to grind if you so choose one of the really really nice things is that it does like what earthbound does when you were over leveled for an area and you encounter an enemy it'll just say no you automatically win here's your experience and your money and it'll even like uh, give you an indication like the the enemy clouds will turn from like a purple cloud into a green one and then you know okay if i just run into this thing i'm gonna win and it'll even get to the point where uh you can upgrade a, a passive skill to where your party members who are following you around in the field of play will go out and like if it's a purple enemy cloud they'll like stun it so you can go and sneak around and do a back attack or if it's a green enemy cloud they'll just go and kill it themselves and get get you the rewards and there is cool because like in a bunch of areas especially toward the end of the game i would just like do the required fights and after doing a lot of the fights in the area i was like okay now you're just strong enough to win so i'd be running down a corridor and one character would run this way and kill an enemy and another character would run off in another direction kill another enemy and just kind of get me all these rewards by the time i was done with the game i was at level 101 so 100 is not the max level in this game. Uh, there's a new game plus, so you can carry over a lot of, you know, your your items and your armor and your, like, achievements. There's a lot of, like, goals and achievements you can do in the game if you're going for that 100% completion. It would take a long time to do because there's a lot of things like, you know, upgrade this skill to this level, do this amount of raw damage to enemies. So there, there's uh, a lot of... Uh, 
things on a checklist to check off if that's your thing. I think the game is well worth a playthrough. It's a big step up over the first Star Ocean. Well worth a place and one is I'd recommend it. Uh, Ryan, you want to tag in with anything? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, we can mix it up. Well, honestly, I have not been playing any games at all. <laughs> yeah, let's mix, let's mix it up, though. Yeah, um, I've kind of been out of it. It's, aside from doing our Pokemon run-through that we did for the recent episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been watching some movies. Um, specifically, I've been catching up on a lot of the horror films from last year. Um, watched quite a few of them. Uh, there is actually a deal going on for... Shutter, you guys, you guys wear a Shutter? Yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just they produce horror films. Um, why and I they have their own platform. <laughs> that would be why I haven't, because I hate horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they they were kind of had a reputation as sort of being like a mid tier horror studio, I guess. I think a lot of it they just buy a lot, well buy up distribution rights for films that they think are good. Oh, some of them they produce in-house, so it's kind of a mixed bag of content you get from them. But I can tell you, like, it's if you do like horror films, oh my god, it's so worth it. Like, they their their original content they have is has been great that I've seen so far, and they've just got a deep catalog of other classic horror films and stuff like that. So, um, if you didn't need to see like this, like a specific film that's you know not necessarily part of their own production line, but just like other classic horror films, and they've got tons. So, you know, unless you need to see exactly one horror film, you know, you'll have to find that elsewhere. But they have hundreds and hundreds of classic horror films to catch up on. So, yeah, like, um, I mean, if I were to just name a few that I would I would absolutely recommend people check out. I think my favorite horror movie of the year was called When Evil Lurks. You guys heard of this? No. It's uh, it's specifically from South America, I believe Argentina. Uh, a director I hadn't really seen anything from before. I think he's got one other film that he's made at this point. Um, Damien Rugna, I think is how you say his last name, but um, absolutely loved it. It's uh, kind of a possession film uh, that mixes in, I guess, a little bit of like folklore. I get you could think of it as sort of like an Evil Dead film if Evil Dead took itself seriously. Um, it's about sort of this possession this this demonic possession that travels between animal and people um you know keep in mind it's made after covid so i think that there's also supposed to be some vague metaphor for covid as well and um how we can spread this to people unintentionally um it is absolutely grisly and it pulls no punches um it's also not a handholdy film it just kind of moves at its own pace and expects you to follow along. There's not a lot of scenes of just outright exposition where they're explaining to you why things are the way they are. Um, very serious film, but very good one. Um, yeah, at a glance, I see it's got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Shit. So, well-earned. How um, many reviews? Uh, 105. There you go. Yeah, 105 critics agree. Uh, this is... This is a, it's a really, really good movie. I, I would totally um, recommend checking it out. Um, again, just very grisly content, and uh, don't expect anybody to be safe, regardless of who they are or how old they are or what their condition is. Um, absolutely loved it. It's very, very cool that Shudder 
This doesn't look like... You can kind of tell when one is kind of produced by them. This does not look like a movie that was produced by them. They just have the rights for it, and it's on their platform. So this movie alone is worth the... I think a month is like five ninety nine. So, God, like this movie alone, like is, is absolutely worth it. Um, some other ones that I don't think are that great, but are still fun. Um, there's one called Unwelcome, which is made by a Irish director who had made that movie Grabbers. I don't know if you guys saw Grabbers. I didn't see that one. No. Uh, the premise of that one was that there's like a big sea monster that's attacking people, but it is it's it's uh, it's kryptonite is alcohol. So the town drunk is the only one that doesn't die. Okay. Um, or he, he's the only one that the monster just kind of refuses to eat. So, um, but at any rate, he has a follow-up to that movie. As you can imagine, it's it's kind of a, a campy horror film. He has a follow-up called Unwelcome, uh, which is about a couple that is sort of being harassed by these mean people in a town um, only to find that the house that they're staying at has a connection to... Um, I guess what you would consider leprechauns and that the leprechauns are sort of trying to protect them. Um, it is a, again, a horror film. It's pretty gross. Uh, Cole Meany is in it. Um, nice. Who is uh, the, yeah. Who's the uh, Irishman, I guess from next generation. I'm sure he's done a million other things. He probably wouldn't say that that's his, you know, uh, chief O'Brien. <laughs> yes. Chief O'Brien is, is, He's in it. He's he's actually great. Digging um, deep on that Star Trek knowledge. Yeah. Uh, again, there's some other ones I'll just shout out as being good. Like uh, Brooklyn 45 is a essentially a one-room play um, about a bunch of people who are... It's called 45 because it's set in 1945, and it's about a bunch of people that were involved in the war effort having a seance to communicate with someone. Hmm. Um there's Hell House LLC Origins. I don't know if you guys... The Hell House is like a six-film series, I think, at this point. Um, this is basically... Long story short, it is a handheld horror series about a couple of houses specifically that are, you know, haunted, but like really, really haunted. And people investigating and then getting murdered. You have VHS 85, which is like... A, anthology horror film kind of like the old creep show movies used to be and it's called 85 because it's set in 1985 really dug that one um one that i think again absolute banger of a film was called perpetrator uh perpetrator was a weird one it is i think it's supposed to be kind of a comedy but like a really just pitch black dark comedy with also a lot of horror elements in it the premise being that like uh it's about a girl that is going to a new school and the school has been harassed by a string of murders of girls at the school. Um, but the school does not like, it's almost like kind of a joke that the school doesn't really care about all the killings. Um, maybe in the way that like Heathers, did you ever see that movie Heathers? Oh yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Kind of like the vibe from Heathers where people die, but everyone just so cynically doesn't care about it and like you know the principal does the school shooting drills where he runs around the school with a super soaker filled with red like red water to like <laughs> and then he like just shoots them all if he gets them and like that, and then, yeah oh. again it's it sounds so messed up but if you watch it in the context of the film it's it's very i don't know it's got some very sense a very dry sense of wit about it um and I really, really loved it for that. I thought it was good. Uh, there, there's been so many just traditional slasher movies that came out. This was like the year that had like, 
you know, Scream 6 came out. There was the one with Vince Vaughn and the body swapping thing. There was, like, Totally Killer, another slasher pick, which I really liked that one. That was another 80s time travel one. Um, again, they're all so high concept. There's just so many slasher films. This is a unique one that actually I will remember. Like, it was a funny one, and it's got a good good sense of humor about it. Well, I think, like, um, trying to do like more period pieces for, for horror movies is probably... Yeah. There's fewer obstacles in your way because if you're trying to make a modern horror movie, you always have to have, you know, a, a reason for like, hey, why can't anyone just call someone or send a text or connect to the internet? Like, like there, there's so many ways to okay. communicate with the outside world. Like, if if you set it in, like, hey, it's in the 1980s. Okay, easy way to say that's why no one's calling anyone because there's no landline. Yeah, it's it's true. Uh, so many premises and films prior to like the year two thousand fall apart uh, if simply introduced a cell, if a cell phone existed. Mm-hmm. You know, like all of the tension in an X Files episode. Most of the episodes is that Mulder can't just immediately right then and there talk to Scully <laughs> <laughs> and explain what's going on. Nobody had a cell phone camera to record like every other paranormal encounter that one of them would experience. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of... Nowadays, things are a little different. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, one last movie I'll talk about from, like, the Shutter catalog that, again, I think this is worth the price of uh, entry alone. But a movie a lot of people did not like. This is a movie that did not get great reviews. Uh, it's called Skinamarink. Have you heard of this? I have heard of this. This one's also on Hulu. I was going to check this one out soon. Yeah, it's an abstract film. Um, it's it is very experimental, um, and I absolutely loved it. This is amazing. This is kind of one of those movies that sort of tests the boundaries of what horror as a medium is capable of. And I think that, you know, this is my opinion of it, and I think a lot of people watch this and they're like, this was the boringest movie I've ever seen. Um, they wasted so much time. What am I even watching? Like, it's it's doing something different, doing something that sets itself wholly apart from, you know, what we know as traditional narrative horror. Uh, the premise of Skinnamarink is that you're essentially watching two young children um, deal with a demonic possession. Um, it's shot on a budget of, I think, I think $15,000. It's Shit. filmed in the director's childhood home. I think that's a big part of it. There's virtually no camera movement. Um, the camera will remain stationary and you kind of just see shots happen. Um, there's a lot of just lengthy shots. A lot of the shots may not seem like much is happening. Um, all of it is heavily degraded in like post-production. Uh, so of course the film the film looks super grainy. Um, the colors will be distorted. It's a lot of it's almost exclusive. It's pretty much the entire movie is at night. So you get a lot of scenarios where there's very limited lighting. Um, the entire dialogue of the film probably fits on one page. It's one of those movies where it doesn't say much, but what it says is like super deliberate. Um, it's again from from and again it's also from the perspective of six year olds. So the director did a really good job of trying to make you feel like you're the child experiencing it. Um, also, the entire film is basically shot three feet off the ground as though you were like a small kid. 
so even if it is just essentially like a normal home, the normal middle America home, I guess you could say, everything about the house feels so big, so big and scary. Um, it really captures like childhood fear in a way that I've never seen before. Um, you know, just like, you know, I mean, maybe you guys were the same way as I was when I was a kid. Like probably when you were like six or seven years old, you were just like scared to go into the hallway at night, you know, or thinking that in the darkness there is something there and this film just terrifies you with these concepts just sort of puts a camera up against you know like down this dark hallway where the only thing that's lighting it is a tv and the tv feels like safety um, but in this hallway this sort of pitch black hallway where all of this film grain is is sort of moving across the screen it just it feels like you're staring into the void it's so effective if you buy into it, it is such an effective horror film. So, um, very cool. I'll, I'll stop there. I, I, yeah, I absolutely recommend it. I would totally recommend checking it out. All right. I will tag back in with a couple more games. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Advance Wars too, fellas. Yeah. I am about 80% of the way through the main campaign. Haven't even touched much of the war room stuff yet uh and in case anyone's unfamiliar the war room is just like uh extra maps where it'll set up okay uh, here's your general setup here's how many players there are and you kind of pick whichever commanding officer you want to use and uh play through it um there there's tons you can spend dozens and dozens of hours just playing through the war room trying to get high scores on there and there's like you, you earn this currency and the currency you can use to unlock more maps or unlock uh, music tracks or like stuff for the art gallery. So there's um there's a lot of value in this game just in terms of the amount of time you can put into it. But I've been really impressed with the campaign mode in Advance Wars 2. They come up with a lot of different types of scenarios where it's okay, here's your general setup sometimes it's you have a limited force and no way to produce more sometimes it's you know here's like uh um your base where you can produce units or it's like more sprawled out and you're up against two very large forces and you have to come up with you know the the tactics to get out of the situation that you're in they, they come up with some really good scenarios that they put you in in these different campaigns and I really like the way that it's structured because in Advance Wars, there's four major factions and then the fifth, like, evil faction. But, like, the four factions are Orange Star, Yellow Comet, uh, Green Earth, and Blue Moon. And, like, they, they each have, like, their own commanding officers that have different, you know, affinities with you know, what they're good with and what they're not good in and, like, their different superpowers and stuff. But each one of these four factions has their own campaign. And they're sort of like uh, micro campaigns, like nine, maybe ten missions at most. And then you move on to the next country's or the next faction's campaign. And like it has this really good difficulty curve where it'll introduce you to like the the basic mechanics in the orange star campaign that's your your beginner campaign and it'll come to a point where like the last mission is like okay that you know has a pretty good challenge to it and then it'll, you'll move on to the next faction blue moon and the difficulty will go down a little bit and then ramp back up 
to where you know the time you're you're at the final mission like look at that was pretty tough and every time you finish off one faction uh their their main campaign it'll start with another one and like it it takes it back down so you know you've gone through like this really tough fight um at the end of you know the, your second and third campaign, and then you know, okay, I can at least get a little bit of a reprieve for a couple missions where you know it's not as difficult as the one you just did, but they come up with a different creative setup for you to do, where it's you know going to introduce more advanced mechanics. So I like like you would expect with like Blue Moon, there's like a character who's really good with like naval units, so that's when they start to introduce more of like the the concepts with naval units when you get to. Uh, Yellow Comet. Yellow Comet's an interesting one because it's more about like um, how you're using your available troops tactically. Because you have, uh, I think his, uh, now his name escapes me, I think it's like Kanabi, where his units are more powerful but more expensive. And that also like contrasts a character that you got in Blue Moon called Colin, whose character, who, whose units are less powerful but they're cheaper and also his superpower is based on how much money you have in the bank and you can like make have some really overpowering setups if you have like a good force and then a lot of things under control so you're getting a lot of money um or it becomes like the not only a resource for building but also a resource for uh making a big push with your available units um uh, but yeah and then like of, of course you get to uh the green earth and it introduces a lot more of like the aerial stuff. I think a lot of these units, your, your aerial units, your, your naval units, they're available in different campaigns. They don't like ever take away these units and then uh, give them back to you later campaigns, but it does a good job of like teaching. Okay. Like you've used these before. Here's a way you might not have thought about using them. And those other campaigns are going to introduce you to that. And like the the final mission for each of the faction campaigns is really fun because it will say, okay, here's, you know, you you can pick your commanding officer from this faction, but then there's also this second army. And I think like once you get really late in the game, you're controlling multiple armies, like three, four armies at the same time. And they each have their own resources to manage and they take their own turns. So it gives you like this really fun method of fighting where you know if you have a smaller force you're positioning them but then how are you using them in conjunction with this other force that you're also controlling but they're moving after the ones that you just did uh really really cool highly recommend this game advanced wars 2 uh really really awesome game it's still well worth playing the first one but they really like uh, take it up a notch in the sequel uh, and um, I, I really like the way that they have this uh, the sort of uh, menu system built out, the sort of presentation, because like you can select from either campaign, but when it comes to like the war room and all like your extra stuff, it's just in one place. Whereas instead of like uh, when you get to a root menu, like flipping around, like, okay, here's all your Advanced Wars one content, here's all your Advanced Wars two content, no, they'll just mash it all together, which is the right way to do things. Just makes it easier to see everything you have access to Mm -hmm. yeah i'm a big fan of the games and i honestly think like advance wars 2 is the best of the series Mm. like i think dual strike is like a bigger game but it's too much game yeah it's too too much juggling two separate ceos and what they do it's kind of you know i feel like they probably needed to add that to make it feel like they were doing something new 
but like it's just too much. It's too ch- changes the game too much. There's some pretty overpowering like combos that you can do in dual strike because like you're saying you you choose two commanding officers and you sort of like tag team but then when they both build up their superpower meters you basically get to take two turns what you take one turn and you flip to the other one and then they take a turn as opposed and your opponent can only respond with one turn and then like if you pair up so yeah the entire the entire yeah you'll spend a 30 turn game essentially worried about three specific turns Mm mm-hmm and it's like if you fumble those turns you lose it otherwise if you time it well that decides the game versus like you know advance wars 2 which has an ebb and flow of combat each turn is is meaningful it's not just like i'm waiting for this exact moment to to go all in on one turn that's going to decide this 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 fight and i think that's something like to your point that advance wars 2 does really well is on the missions where like it starts you out with your back against the wall. It's like, okay, well, wait a second. Think about this for a minute. The way your enemy is positioned, what is it that you can do that will like slow them down, keep them at bay, like give you, like take meaningful turns where you're playing more defensively until you like, you can make that turn and then go on the offense and change the momentum of the battle into your favor. Whereas in, in Dual Strike, like you're saying, if you pair up Eagle with Andy, Eagle's superpower is that his vehicles can move again, um, which is pretty great in all the Advance Wars game. It's it's darn near broken in Dual Strike because you know you, you take your turn, you move all your units, you use his superpower, which, of course, lets all his vehicles move again, and then you tag over to Andy who then repairs all your units and then you get to move again. You effectively get three turns and then one of those turns refreshes your units to where they're, you know, back close to full health. So the th- Yeah, yeah, that's it's kinda of, yeah, really not a, a great feature to add to the game. Yeah, it's not um, balanced. Yeah. And it, it's they give you this giant roster of COs too, mm. so it's fun to experiment, but you know, it ends up being that you always want certain ones that pair. And then honestly, some of them just kinda just aren't worth the time like some of them just seem to do similar things but aren't that good it's it's like you've got um you know like who's your main core dude like the big burly guy max is is all about tanks yeah but then like the black star team has a guy like that too Mm. and he's just kind of feels like an unnecessary duplicate of him it's you know like when are you ever really gonna have fights that are all about naval stuff there's really only situationally are they going to be useful if it's like um yeah what is his name he's like a big fat dude the big fat dude with the, nice, uh, with, with the, the, with the nice hat or drake is it drake is that his name yeah olaf is sort of like a naval guy like, olaf is the guy that looks like santa claus yeah and, and he like and does he's, like he's, some weather manipulation whereas drake yeah um is effectively the same guy but in a different faction oh okay yeah yeah so i mean huh I don't know. And yeah, I think that is just always an underlying strategy, at least for me when I play that games, is that, you know, if somebody buys a unit that costs 22,000 and it's got 10 shots and all it does is take out infantries, infantry units and never gets healed or refreshed its ammo, that's a 12,000 credit gain for you. Hmm. Like <laughs> there's no harm in letting, letting them buy big things and waste their turns shooting up cheap infantry or something like that or that taking was, out 
you know, smaller, smaller vehicles. That was one of my main strategies in the Blue Moon, the final mission of that faction's uh, campaign was that, you know, you, you had like this, this enemy factory way up on the north end of the, the map and they would push units down. But I was able to just produce a lot of infantry at a lot of factories that would produce infantry and just keep them moving up and have, I had like three rockets and two or three artillery and just kind of keep them behind the meat shield, softening up all of like the big expensive things the enemy would make. And then like, just keep on moving the infantry up to capture the the cities and the factors I was encountering along the way. And I really didn't need to build anything except like an APC to keep the, the ranged units supplied. It's like, if you can't get to my ranged units, you know, I'll, I'll keep these infantry in front of them to keep them, to keep so you can't get to them. And then I'll just have so much foot, uh, foot soldiers moving up to take your buildings away from you that eventually you're just, go broke yeah just keeping them busy that's Mm -hmm. all you gotta do so anyway i think i had something else to say about oh oh like the the most recent advanced wars game uh that uh, not a remake it was uh days of ruin i think that came out in 2008 a long time ago now um that one was uh another really good one it was definitely like an, an attempt to sort of rein it in from where they went with dual strike but it was much more of like a grim dark like hey the we're, we're in the post-apocalypse and we're like this surviving army that's trying to get to like a safe zone in the world and and the tactics were much more at a, a front seat for that one as opposed to dual strike which just like you were saying just trying to build up those meters and take your winning turn um and they also reined in the the co powers at that point where you know you would get like a little advantage from using that co power but it wasn't nearly uh something that you were anticipating as much as like even like an advance wars 2 where it was really going to give you a nice little push in your direction uh, I really, yeah, I really like. Made them all look like uh, Metal Gear characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really like that game, but I think like the the pinnacle of the series is still Advance Wars Two. And the last game I've been playing, uh, I picked up Picross S Seven. Uh, if you're not familiar with Picross, it's a little puzzle game where you know you're using the, the hints that they give you in deductive reasoning to make these little pixel art little portraits of things um really really fun uh, i am not good at it there there are some people who like look at these and like will understand exactly what it is that they're trying to like uh get you to design as you're going i always have to use the the hint roulette right at the beginning of a uh, uh of a challenge um but i still have a really good time getting these done i don't really have too much else to say about that game there's a lot of content in this one as well there's tons and tons of puzzles there's like uh i'm on puzzle 120 and they don't really take longer than you know six or seven minutes on average some of them are pretty quick other ones take a little bit longer than that um but yeah it's a a brisk little brisk little game and it's like deceptively addictive like there was a, a day where i downloaded and i was able to burn through puzzles they were the early puzzles so they're a lot easier i was able to burn through them pretty quickly I was like yeah i'll just keep going i'll do a couple more and i ended up playing it for two hours in a sitting so <laughs> it can uh it can get addictive 
I had a uh, game day with a buddy of mine today. We were playing. Yeah. We went to the gym, and then we came back and started playing some, some Baldur's Gate. Did a little co-op run through with that. But we also Guys were all sweaty. eventually switched over and started playing um, some N64 games on the Switch. So we played nice. some Mario Tennis. The game is mean. Very the cool. The game is mean. Just, <laughs> oof, I'm not great at that. Um, Mario Golf, that game also. There was like a weird oh, good. delay with the original Mario Golf when uh, wherever that bar moves to select your, your strength and accuracy. There was like a weird delay. So we were having a hard time. Like Most mm. holes I'm doing like four plus. Like It, it was not looking good. That, that game was uh, it's a tough game. <laughs> that one's tough. And then we uh, ended with some Vampire Survivor, working on various nice. um, stuff. Apparently, there's a couple. Of, there's a new DLC for it, and they announced a new adventure mode. So I'm gonna start. Yeah, the adventure mode looks cool. Okay, get to playing that one. I haven't started that one yet. We were um, trying to unlock a couple of things um, in my game because he he flew through it. I mean, he he's been playing a ton of Vampire Survivor, and he played it before it ported the Switch years ago when it first came out and everything. So he knew like he knows all the little tricks and unlocking stuff and doing all that kind of things um so oh the adventure mode looks good and there's like some kind of weird among us dlc thing for it so we're gonna have to do some adventure mode run throughs good Mm -hmm. um i think that's all i yeah, that's all I had with the, uh, the the video games we've been playing. You guys want to do some Nintendo financials real yeah, quick? Yeah, you sent us that big financial yeah. thing, which I never know how what I'm reading with that thing. Well, they did their um, their quarter three financial report for their you know investors, stockholders, uh, as they are required to do to put out this information, and um, they they made some money, but this is the the reports that would have ended in December. So the months it would have covered for quarter three for them would have been October, November, December. So they moved, uh, I'm going a little bit from memory here. I should pull this up. They moved an additional, uh, I think somewhere between seven and 8 million switches, which puts them just shy of 140 million switches sold over the life cycle of that system which put about it all. Yeah. Real damn good. I think there are within they're, they're less than 20 million away from the PS two for the best selling console of all time. Now it is quite a ways off. Uh, 20 million is, is a lot to sell. I think, um, for this fiscal year, which will of course end in March, they are projecting that they're going to sell 15 and a half million for the entire fiscal year. So even if they have another year of selling switches as successful as they were this year, uh, they still won't quite get to that PS2 number. It's going to take another year plus to get there. Now, I think they could do it. Um, but like switch switch sales, like while they haven't plummeted, they're still I think down year over year about six or seven percent. So you know the the numbers are going down, and like presuming that they will have a successor system at some point over the next year, uh, that will probably take another big chunk out of how many switches they're moving. But I, I think like it, they're in a funny position because they're still selling a really respectable amount of switches every year. Um, 
and I, I don't know how much they actually care about like any sort of breaking a record for most consoles sold. I think they're just happy to keep on selling switches and making money. But, well, there is also, I'm sure, a risk of like selling a console now means nobody's going to buy it in 18 months potentially. Mm. If you're trying to launch a new one, like why would you get a Switch Two if you literally just bought a right a Switch? Right. Uh, unless they do like some sort of deep price cut so that there's like a value proposition like hey here's the new one and the new one is priced as the new one so if you're going to buy an old switch when there's a new one already out it's because like hey it's it's a lot cheaper and there's a, a large library available for it but yeah they're they're, they're in a, a tough spot because now i think that uh the the word is spreading uh to to a broader audience that there's you know, in all likelihood a new one coming pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do you, know if, do you know if they're selling more of the handheld switches or like the dockable switches? The way that it is broken down is that the OLED, is the, which is one of the dockable ones, is the best selling. Um, and I think like the, uh, proportionally speaking, about, I think a third of the switches sold are switch lights, which is not the dockable one. Mm-hmm. So you know they they still proportionally sell more of the the ones that can dock than otherwise. But they had I think they had a graph if, either on this financial report or on a uh, a different one. Uh, one of the other things that struck me as interesting in this financial report is they broke down like their physical digital sale ratio and just for for context, it's been a, a little while since I looked at the numbers, but like the the comp the competing consoles, uh, the the Jigglypuff, the Pikachu. When it comes to digital versus physical sales, you're talking about like a ratio of like ninety percent, eighty ninety percent of game sales are digital at this point. There are some places that don't even sell physical Jigglypuff games anymore, and they don't take them as trades because that it's it's console so, so dominated by digital sales um, for any games that do actually sell on that thing. And like and the Pikachu as well, like it's so heavily into just digital downloads. Physical sales are such a small amount of the sales that they they do for those. And Nintendo, when they put their sales numbers together, they typically don't include digital sales. I don't think that has changed. Um, so when they like report, hey, this game sold a million copies, they actually do mean physical units. But Nintendo's ratio on the Switch is still like 52% physical, 48% digital, which is such a strange little outlier in the video game space where it's so dominated by digital downloads. Like, no, this is like the the physical sales are still the slim majority of games that are moving on the system. Which is, it's weird with that with the mm. Switch too, because the Switch, it, it's it's tough to go with that because the Switch only comes with like 32 gigabytes inherent, but you can go up to like how yeah. high with an AC card can it run? Right. Um, uh, I think you can do, I think at this point up to a four terabyte. Oh, so you can't put like a four terabyte SD in that thing. I think. Okay. I think. So if that's the case, then the Switch is a much friendlier system for digital downloads because their games aren't 100 gigabytes. You right. can like, have every even, game you own on the Switch at the same time because chances are your SD card can handle it. 
Um, yeah, even games like Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, you're talking about less than 20 gigabytes. Yeah, so, I mean, the Switch is like the console to do that if you invest in a big SD card, where systems like the Pikachu and the Jigglypuff, I mean, those games are massive, and so like a terabyte hard drive mm-hmm. is almost not big enough if you want to keep everything downloaded at the same time instead of uninstalling and reinstalling back and forth and like planning yeah. it out, all right, I'm doing this game right now instead of just doing it on a whim. Um, you're constantly having to clean out the fridge. Yeah, it's, it's it's irritating because it, you're, you're sitting there planning out when to play a game instead of just popping it in on a whim. Because you got mm-hmm. make delete four games to download one game. Like it's just it's nonsense. So that's surprising to me. Yeah, it is kind of funny that uh, like you mentioned having to like delete and reinstall things on other systems because the storage space isn't there. That's something that, like back on the Wii when there were first like downloadable virtual console and WiiWare games, that was a thing that people complained about. Like, Hey, like there's no expanded storage for this thing. Like we can't keep all of our games. And the response from like PR from Nintendo at the time was like, well, it's not such a big deal. Just delete it, download something else. And when you want it, reinstall it. And you know, the, the response from the internet at the time was like, how dare you? We bought these games. We want access to them at all times. And now it's just kind of normal on all the platforms. Like, nah, there's just not space. You can't have them all. Um, I do have a little bit of a game. If you guys want to play a quick game. I have eight new releases from Nintendo. Not specifically from Nintendo, but most of these are Nintendo published. But these are eight Switch games that sold at least a million copies in 2023. And you guys... I was actually just... There is a list in the link you sent us. Yes. Which did kind of spoil things. Potentially. So I mean, you, you, you might have some, some broad ideas at this point. Are you still looking at the list? No, I'm not looking at the okay. list now that you're telling me that this... I thought it was hilarious, by the way, what they opted to list at, what, third on their... On their we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll, we'll get through the game, and then I'll point out yeah. the game that, gosh, okay. they so wish Ryan was probably wins. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, so here are eight games that released on Switch that sold a million copies. Uh, and you guys just rank them. Tell me what you think sold the most, and then we'll go through all eight and see like how well you do with uh, the rankings here. So the games are uh, Dragon Quest Monsters Dark Prince, the Metroid Prime Remake, Kirby's Return to Dreamland, Super Mario RPG, Mario Wonder, Tears of the Kingdom, Fire Emblem Engage, and Pikmin 4. I mean, Tears is top. Yeah, you want you want to start at the top and work your way well, down. Well, I mean that's just the easy one. Tears is yeah. Tears of I mean, the Kingdom is is number yeah, one no... with uh, twenty million and change sold, about twenty and a quarter. I'd say Wonder is probably next. Yeah. Oh, Wonder is next with just shy of twelve million. So there's there's your one and two, and your next games uh, that are left are uh, Dragon Quest, Metroid, Kirby, Mario RPG, Fire Emblem, and Pikmin. I actually think it may be RPG next, because I think that one did do pretty good. Um, I will tell you that the next game, uh, Mario Wonder sells about twelve million. The next game on the list doesn't break four million. Yeah. So you're looking at a quarter of what Mario Wonder does. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's. Well, I know I, I know the exact number of Pikmin. That is one of the things I can just tell you. Pikmin was three point three. Okay, so it may be it was. because they sa- they sandwiched it on the list in between games that sold like third. They're like 
Tears of the Kingdom <laughs> sold 20, and then this next one, like Mario Kart 8, sold 60 million. Pikmin 4 came in with 3.3 million, everybody. Well, so th- the list, it, it's what, yeah, because the list, what they did, they pretty much, like, I think they rank them by how many sold the most so far in the fiscal year. And yep. Mario Kart, 60 million over the lifetime of that game. But right, it probably, right. It's not a 2023 game. Yeah, but but it, it probably sold more than 3. What were we saying for Pikmin 4? 3.33 million. Mario Kart 8 probably sold more than that for the fiscal year so far. Even though the game's like however many, six years old or something. Right, a game that originally released on Wii U in 2014. Right. Um, um, so what do, you, what do you guys think? Uh, well, sorry, what were the other ones? I think RPG is a pretty good guess. There was, a, I would say, Metroid though is also. I, mean, I, would, I would make, and I don't know how well that one sell, sold. There's a, a Dragon Quest, Metroid, Kirby, Mario RPG, uh, Fire Emblem, and Pikmin. I think Kirby is going to be under Pikmin. Pikmin, I wouldn't be surprised. It's either Pikmin or RPG next. I just don't know which one. Yeah, I would just say Pikmin. Pikmin did sell actually surprisingly well. Not that three million is like bonkers sales. How dare you? That's <laughs> pretty good. Uh, it is Pikmin, okay. like you were saying, three point okay. three three. Which, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. respectable. Yeah. I, it's probably the it's definitely the best selling game in the franchise, maybe combined. <laughs> yeah, and I think that nowadays consumers are smarter, so it's not just seventy year old grandmas thinking they're buying Pokemon. <laughs> so I think <laughs> so they, they were intentional purchases of Pikmin. Yes, exactly. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. I mean, it's. I, I don't know. Want to split hairs on it, but yeah, I think the next, my next three on the list are going to be those: Metroid, Kirby, and RPG in some order. Yeah. Um. Either Kirby or RPG. Uh, it is RPG is next at number four. Okay. And Ryan, you're not too far off. But there is something else in there. So the games that are left are Dragon Quest, Metroid, Kirby, and Fire Emblem. I don't think Fire Emblem did great. It does. Fire Emblem always does okay, but nothing crazy. And Engage was trash, so I don't want it to do well. How dare you? <laughs> Engage is a great game. And you know what? Fuck you, Wes. Engage is, is next. It? <laughs> God yeah. dang it. Um, and, and Scott the Woz, like uh, the YouTuber Scott the Woz, gave a stirring defense of Engage. He really Engage is fine. It, Engage is a good game with the gameplay, but the story was so bad, I want nothing to do with it. So you're, you're changing your you're changing your. No, 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 no. I've always said the gameplay was good, but the story <laughs> was too painful for me to deal with. At 1.6 million, Fire Emblem Engage, which, you know, again, respectable. That, that's a, a good, solid B-tier entry. Yeah. Um, so the the three that are left are Kirby, Metroid, and Dragon Quest. It's got to be Kirby next. Uh, Kirby is next, 1.46. After that, it's either Metroid or Dragon Quest, yeah, which really is a coin flip. I would think Metroid, then Dragon Quest. I would be shocked if Metroid didn't, it sold so poorly. That would be probably my biggest disparity and where it is versus what I thought it would be. Yeah, uh, Metroid is at in number seven here at just over a million, and Square Enix reported a million sales for Dragon Quest uh, Monsters Dark Prince. Um, yeah, Metroid Prime, 1.09 million. Uh, and again, I think that's just physical sales, and the physical release for this game was post-digital release by like a month and a half. So, you know, it, I, I don't know how many digital sales you can assume for this but it did have a bit of a lead on the physical edition so you know maybe it bumps it up 
another half million. I don't know. That's just kind of okay, speculation. I was about to say, everybody was like complaining and wanting this Metroid Prime remake for how many years? Like it just, there was such a, like mm. a demand for it to then it doesn't do that well. Like it, that seems weird. I, I think that there is a, a disconnect um, within like the gamer enthusiast audience where like we always think we're a bigger part of the uh, general public who buys video games than we are. Like the gamer enthusiast audience is pretty small compared to the normies. And while it is, it is the exact, yeah, it's the ecosystem of Pokemon essentially, Mm -hmm. where it's like, if you went online and read about it, you would think Pokemon uh, was, I don't know, the gaming equivalent of the Holocaust. Like the, 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 it is such a toxic content about Pokemon and then it's like, oh yeah, and it sold twenty million copies, <laughs> right? And it, it's going to sell thirty million next year. I think, I think it's just that, yeah, you have uh, a lot of gamers who think that they deserve a different kind of game than what Pokemon is essentially about. And yet, I mean, with, without like, taking too much of a, a tangent into Pokemon, I think that there we we, we can expect uh, a higher level of quality from the biggest franchise in the world. That said, I like Scarlet and Violet; they were fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I I just uh, I'm not not defending that they definitely made uh, you know a janky game there, but yeah, the 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 online fan base, meaning meaning the people that would go online and talk about it, are not necessarily the demo that actually yeah. buys it and, and yet likes it. It only yeah. took one guy with a podcast to get Dokapon Kingdom willed into existence. You're welcome, world. I'm taking credit for Dokapon. Uh, sadly, mm-hmm. did not. Sadly, did not end up on the million. No, I did not. I knew it wouldn't, but still, I so willed Wes, it into existence. Wes, can you tell us about that live-action SWAT cat film that you've been God, wanting to have happen? You have no idea. Oh, you have no. I would totally <laughs> just people in the cats outfits from the from the musical just doing SWAT cats. <laughs> Ryan, was there was there anything from the best seller list or the the, the game seller list that struck you as interesting that you were looking at? Oh, like any numbers that seemed out of place? No, I mean the, they were all kind of about what you would expect. Um, you know, Mario Party selling twenty million yeah. copies, insane, is pretty good. Like- Bowser's Fury um, is thirteen million, or well, the Super Mario three D World and Bowser's Fury is thirteen. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of what are some other big ones. I like think like Luigi's it, Mansion's three sold 14 million copies. That's like insane yeah, for a Luigi's Mansion. Insanely game. good, and I think like it, it's uh, uh, you know, pretty pretty popular to like take pot shots at games like you know Mario Party. But it's the existence of games like Mario Party selling 20 million copies that sort of subsidizes the existence of these other things that we really like, like Fire Emblem Engage. You know, if Mario Super Mario Party doesn't sell twenty million, instead only sells like a million, two million, it's harder to get these other things like Pikmin Four made, um, that uh, you know require more of an investment, more of a development cycle than you know something like a Mario Party, where it's like, yeah, we already kind of know what this game is going to be before we start making it. Yeah, there was a fun video I saw the other day where it was someone saying, so how many Super Mario games are there? Um, hmm. And he had this giant poll that he did. And he like in the, in the front of it, too, he's not hiding the number from me. He's like, there's essentially 18. Um, because the and it becomes this sort of a, um, you know, like the whole thing about like Theseus's ship 
or you know it's it's like my my grandfather's axe or it's like when does it stop to become when does it stop being a mario game right in the main line so like you know from the survey and granted there were even a few people that didn't believe it but like the original super mario bros for the nes is like 99.6 percent people agree it is part of the super mario series (laughs) but then it's like mario 3 more people thought mario 3 was part of the super mario series than mario 2 Hmm. Um, and then there's that that whole debate about like the lost levels and stuff like that and it's like well you know do remakes count um like uh what is it Super Mario th- th- World 2 Yoshi's Yoshi's Island or yeah. Yoshi's whatever? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, does that count? Like, does Mario even need to be in it? <laughs> like, can it be one of these Luigi spinoffs? Like, does Bowser's Fury count? Like, Bowser's Fury is new as a new game, but it's paired with a remake of an old game. Is that part of the series? Yeah, like, you how, know, how, how much, like, down to. D- does the... Uh, amount of content within the game matter because Bowser's Fury, you know, you do play as Mario. It is a Mario game, um, but it's sort of like a, attached to this other more substantial Mario game. And like going through Bowser's Fury will probably take like like probably uh, five or six hours if you want to do everything in that game, collect all the stuff, um, mm-hmm. which isn't a super long game. But if you want to play through Mario Brothers three. It might take you two hours, you know? Oh, spoiler alert, it's not considered part of the 18. <laughs> At least <laughs> okay. according to the votes, because it's not its own standalone game. Mm. You have to, to get that, it's it's uh, additional content on another game that is a remake or a re-release of an older game. So what, It never, never was released on its own in a standalone package. So if they were to say, hey, Bowser's Fury is available to purchase dig- digitally, digital download, it's thirty nine ninety nine. You can go buy it. would sway some of the people that were polled into believing yes. And what's wild about it is the next highest rated Mario game is literally the one that just released, where everyone is like, yes, this is definitively a Super Mario game, Mario Wonder. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's no debate about whether or not that one is part of the canon, like part of the actual ones. There, yeah, there were so many funny ones, like Mario, Mario Land. And then, like, the Mario Land for the Game Boy, and, like, the Mario Land sequel, which has Wario in it, there yeah. isn't even a Mario in it. That one has a higher rating than, like, Luigi U. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was really, like, you know, and then there's the whole debate of, like, what are games like Galaxy or Sunshine or Mario 64, where there, it's, it's a different mode, different style of play. But those are definitively Mario games. Mm. But it was a really funny, funny list to see, and like what made people think a game is or isn't a Mario game. Mm, that's fun. Um, the the only other thing that stood out to me that I wanted to bring up was uh, Tears of the Kingdom selling over twenty million units. Really, really good. Super impressive. Uh, it is. I, I think uh, Breath of the Wild is officially at thirty million. Uh, just over 30 million at this point. So it is well on its way to, you know, selling tons and tons of copies. When that game was released back in May, I think it was part of the financial report that ended in June or maybe July. Uh, Within its first couple of months, it sold 18 and a half million. So Mm -hmm. it's now gone through two more quarters and basically moved another million and a half which has had some people like 
raising an eyebrow like hey it's it's like really front-loaded and i think that there are certain nintendo franchises you know your your mario karts your smash brothers splatoon uh mario odyssey breath of the wild they've gotten people used to like these really long tales of selling millions of copies over you know years of being out um Whereas it seems with Tears of the Kingdom, it's been very front-loaded. Now it's not selling millions and millions of units every quarter. It's selling like a few hundred thousand, maybe. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, though. I mean, was there ever a more like known commodity? Hmm. Was there ever a game for Nintendo that's gotten as much hype? Sure. And like everyone's been waiting so long to get this game that I, I, I can't imagine. It. You'd have to be hiding under a rock to have been following anything as having a switch and following anything associated with Nintendo in early to 2023 and not have like circled on your calendar may like this is when the fucking tears of the kingdom drops like take time off from work and play. <laughs> yeah yeah I totally agree and I think that the uh, the anticipation of this game definitely like, had it uh, it was more of like a front loaded thing you know time is going to still continue to move forward so we don't know exactly how many copies this game is going to sell um but just because it, it was front loaded out of like, like 20 million units is still like a huge huge success and if it only manages to move another 5 million units over like the life of this game like that's still incredibly impressive i don't think that using Breath of the Wild as a measuring stick for this game is entirely fair because Breath of the Wild was at their right at Switch launch and has now had, you know, almost seven years over the life <coughs> over the life of this system to bear out all these, you know, millions, these thirty million sales. Uh, to... Oh, and also probably carried the reputation as being like, if you're buying a Switch, if you are sitting in the year like 2019 and you're buying a Switch for the first time, like, what's everyone going to tell you to buy first, hmm. right? They'll tell you to get Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like most, that would probably be a very common answer. Yeah. I don't think people are going to be like, get a get Mario Kart or get like a Mario Party game. Like, don't don't get the iterative installment of all these other franchises you've played. Like, well, it depends on who you're recommending it for. It's a unique experience. Well, like half the people who that's true. yeah, that is true. Half the people who buy a Switch already have like have Mario Kart. So, like, if someone's like, "Hey, yeah. can you recommend a game for me?" and you say Mario Kart, "Oh no, I already have that one." Like fifty percent mm. of the time, someone's gonna say, "No, I already have that." What else yeah. you got? I mean, I get so, yeah, I get a I lot think, of like, um, parents looking for like their little kids and stuff like that. So most of the time, yeah, I'm recommending things like Mario Kart because like, hey, they can play together, play games together, and stuff. Or I'm Oh, uh, Sonic Sonic Frontier, of course. Do, do do you ask them like, "Hey, are you looking for Pokemon?" and they like push a copy of Pikmin Four? <laughs> uh, that would be. I like games that I recommend. I like recommending also games that um, if they're like, "Oh, I'm not ready to buy a game today," be like, oh, "Okay, look into Celeste." Like, I, I I end up recommending like download only games. Like, hey, don't forget about checking these kind of games out because some of them are little gems. nightmares. Little Nightmares is a good game. It's way overpriced. <laughs> Neon White. There you go. You, you just tell them Vampire, Vampire Survivor. Survivor. Like, here's a five dollar mm. game. It's gonna keep <laughs> you busy for hundreds game, of hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Anything else we want to bring up? I think that's all I got for the financials. 
I think I'm good here. Uh, any other topics we need to cover? I think we do, or are we done here? I can't think of anything that I wanted to bring up. I think I'm good. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs or Kansas City Chiefs or Super Bowl I, champs? Oh, that's right. We didn't. Uh, we didn't time capture. Didn't even this. watch it. Didn't even yeah. watch the game. I didn't either. Could care less. Oh. It was an overtime game. It was an overtime win. Yeah, yeah, went into overtime. Oh, very oh, yeah, good. Yeah. It's the it follows the same pattern that I feel like the Chiefs have just they just seem to all, all they're like uh, they always just seem to come back and win at the end. Hmm. They'll always be down and then they'll find a way to make it happen and just kind of like you know just eventually punch it through. Like so, yeah. Again, this is like the classic Chiefs win. You know, down three in overtime and then they come back and score a touchdown. So you know, good for them. Great team. I've been. Um... Why I've been not? doing a lot of Poke Grid. I've been doing my daily Poke Grids. Oh, I nice. just started doing oh, nice. it differently. I am uh, doing golf rules. So I'm trying to get the highest number as I can. It's actually kind of tricky. Oh, you're trying to get the most obvious or like the most frequently exactly. thought of thing. Okay. For those of you listening, try out Poke Grid. It's a lot of fun. It is, so, it is you, so much You get fun. one a day. And it's, it's just a blast. I got my nephew into it, so he sends it, his results to me daily. Like, every day, he's like, here's my poker grid for the day. I'm like, oh, good job, buddy. He beats me sometimes. So wait, wait, when you... Wait, when you say golf rules, that kind of, like, implies... Oh, that you're trying yeah, to get you're the, right. The, 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 you're playing, like, family, family feud I'm style. trying to play inverse. Like, you want the you want the highest number. That's what I meant. Like, not golf rules. Why did I say right, golf Right, you're, you're trying rules? to, like, find out... I'm insane. You're, you're trying to, like, guess what you think is going to be the most exactly. popular one. Exactly. I'm trying to go for the highest number mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. I guess that is how I play golf. The I always get the highest number. <laughs> so I guess that I guess that does still work <laughs> when I play golf. Yeah. Oh, I, I got 150 yard to the green. Get Give me, me the, the putter. putter. We'll get there eventually, buddy. Strap in. <laughs> well, depending upon the daily grid, like, there can be a lot of disparity. Like, it'll tell you how many potential answers there are. So, like, sometimes there's, like, only six potential answers. And then sometimes it's, like, there's 400 answers, you know? Mm-hmm. All I can say is whenever you get a chance, guess a tapu. <laughs> if a tapu fits the category, do it. Like, I have never entered a tapu and had it be over 1%. <laughs> like, people just never acknowledge that they exist, and they're very, very useful. Very cool. Well, before we close it out here, I will just mention uh, I've been reading a couple different comics. There's uh, a, a series of Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles kind of got like a, a reboot and a reboot and a refresh back in 2012 from IDW Comics. Um, I've been reading those. I am up to issue 30 at this point. I think really, really good. Big thumbs up. Um, they they bring a lot of like the expected characters that you'd say like Shredder and Krang they're in there but then there's a couple of other things you can see them setting up and you're just waiting for them like, okay when are you gonna hit the switch and bring in Rocksteady and Bebop where where are they at um you get to see Slash and Baxter Stockman um it's it's been it's been really really fun to uh, read these turtle comics they're really really good. And then there is another comic that I've been reading that I won't get uh, too into. Um, it's a from from an author, Jason Aaron, who's done a lot of writing for Marvel and DC and for Boom Comics. Um, it's called Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. It's a love story in the post-apocalypse. And that one's been really good as well. Uh, I've been reading a bit more of Jason Aaron's stuff 
specifically because later this year the Ninja Turtles are not getting like a total reboot, but they're beginning a new sort of um, a, a new uh, a narrative stretch, and they're so they're they're restarting the comics back at issue one. They're going to go up to issue one hundred and fifty for Turtles, and they're going to restart at issue one, and Jason Aaron is going to be taking over the the Turtles. Uh, comic at that point for who knows how long we'll see have you ever read the last ronin no i haven't gotten up to last ronin and the the turtles continuity because that is like uh a con- i think it's like a side story um based on the the idw ninja turtles run that i'm reading mm-hmm. right now it i it's i don't know it, i'm seeing it all over target because it, it's we have the the collection mm-hmm. in target and there's a new Funko Pop coming out. They've been doing these Funko Pops weird. Yeah, so Funko Pops are. But they've been doing these oh, yeah. weird ones where it's the pop, but then the box is really big because it has a background of the comic book um, cover that it's mimicking. So okay. it's mimicking a comic book. And they're they're releasing one for Last Ronin. So I'm like, what is going on with Last Ronin right now? Because I got two different Last Ronin comic uh, collections in here, and then I'm getting this Funko now. So I'm like... Because I think they're doing another Last Ronin. I'm not super familiar with it because I haven't read it yet, but what I think it is, it's a sort of um, uh, fast-forward in time, kind of like Old Man Logan in Marvel Comics, uh, whereas there's there's one of the turtles left in the the post-apocalypse, and you're following sort of his adventures in there. Um, And I think they're doing another storyline uh, based in that timeline, which is probably why you're seeing more merch popping up. But yeah, so Ryan, you're out of town for the next podcast. Yes, yes, I'll be heading up to uh, Cincinnati. In fact, I know, be jealous. <laughs> so me and Wes will do a retro yeah. show. Uh, I'm joking. We won't do a retro show without you. <laughs> I was about to say I can't do the music section. I just can't. How? How dare you? I will do my own. This will be this will be the thing that ends the podcast. I will start my own retro podcast. Uh, me and Ness, well, maybe we'll uh, fast forward to the official show and just uh, knock out some some news and talk about games coming out in March. And then when you're back, we'll circle the wagons again and do okay. the retro yeah. show. Well, we can work out logistics, you know, yeah. off air, of course. But I mean, I w- I'm only going to be gone for like five. Our days. listeners don't need weekend. to know okay. about our messy planning of just whatever <laughs> start guesswork that we're doing either way there'll be shows we'll keep yeah. it going that's it end of podcast so long Later.